Well, a little bit of excitement there in the uh, in Asia Minor on this journey. Well, it's been an exciting week since we looked last. The Packers won the Super Bowl. And uh, <clears throat> it seems like a long time ago. It was hard to imagine. It was just last week that that happened. You know, I read this week that after the age of 20, you only learn, you learn nothing from your successes and only from your failures. And so uh, we probably didn't learn much from last weekend, but people are very happy. And so I guess, I guess that's good. I wanted to show you my, uh, my favorite commercial from the uh, Super Bowl, and uh, it relates to our story this morning. So just watch it on the screen and uh, perhaps you remember this. <coughs> Well, 28 million hits on YouTube, there's something about that commercial that people enjoy. You know, I was thinking about those early days, and I was thinking about Barnabas and Paul, and you know, they were just mere boys. They were just mere men, and seeing the power of God work through them, what an exciting thing. You know, how many of us are like that? We, we desire to see... The power of, you know, it was really Star Wars that introduced our generation to that term, the force. We as a church have the privilege of having that, so that force defined for us in terms of the scripture, in terms of the living God. But we see here these men, simply men through whom God is doing extraordinary things. What, a, what an amazing thing to look at that crippled man and say, get up and walk and see the power of God flow through you and to see that happen. Well, this was the case throughout this first missionary journey. Paul would take four of them. It was the birth of the early church and the growth of the early church. You talk about emotions. You talk about emotional trip. You know, what... what what must have been it like emotionally to walk into a synagogue and not knowing what is going to happen? If people are going to respond to you in terms of positive regard or if they're going to, if they're going to kill you. you know, what, what would it be like to share the message and see thousands of people come to Christ? See entire towns turned upside down. Just imagine the emotion 
that, that went on as this journey went on. Imagine looking at a crippled man and seeing him get up and walk for the first time. You know, imagine hearing that you're living in a community and that there's a plot to kill you. I mean, I wonder how you'd sleep at night. Imagine seeing the local police come up and take you away and wondering if you'd ever see the light of day again. Imagine seeing your best friend stoned to death. And then imagine your best friend who you think had died, who stands up in your midst and who God raises up again. I wonder what it felt like to get on that ship when they had made it through those towns and to feel the cool breeze in your face and just to sit there and think back. Just to think back about the things that God had done and how faithful He had been. And then to come back to your sending church and to share all of the stories of, of what God had done. This was a very, very emotional trip. Let's just take a, a brief walk through it. And then this morning I want to share just a point of application for us. So let's kind of walk through. They started in Iconium. And in Iconium, there, was, there were great numbers of people who believed. When the Bible says great numbers, we're talking great numbers. We're talking hundreds, perhaps even thousands of people in that town. And so there was this growing reception. And, and at the same time, though, it tells us there was a growing opposition. And eventually it got to the point where it got so bad. And perhaps at this point, Barnabas and Paul heard that there was probably an actual plan that was about to be carried out to take their lives, and so they, they fled Iconium, about 20 miles away to this town of Lystra. Lystra was a smaller town. It was very, uh, you know, it, it was not on the beaten path. These people were not well educated at all. And that's where the, the crippled man was raised. And when Barnabas and, and Paul raised this crippled man, the people thought, they were gods. They thought they were Zeus and Hermes. Now, just a little background to understand why this took place. There was about 50 years earlier, right around the birth of Christ, because we're talking here about 45 A.D. or so, when this was taking place. And we found that about 50 years earlier, a Latin poet by the name of Ovid had written, in, in his writings, had had narrated about an ancient legend. And the ancient legend was that Zeus, who was the father of all gods, you know, he's the guy with the lightning bolt, the god of the thunder and the rain and, and the lightning bolt, and they believed that this was the father of all gods. And then Hermes was the god of eloquence. He was the messenger. He was the spokesperson for the gods. And what the legend was is that Hermes and Zeus came down in the form of men. And they went around the hill country looking for someone that would invite them in. And they were turned away a thousand times. Until finally an elderly couple took them in. Well, when they left, in the days that follow, a flood came to that area and the people believed that Zeus was punishing the people for their lack of hospitality. And except this elderly couple was saved. And so this was a story that was fresh in their mind. So here are these two men. Barnabas was the big guy. Historically, we are 
We don't know for sure, but the, the word that we got was that Barnabas was a strapping, athletic, kind of a, a, a good presence to him. And, of course, we know that Paul was, by tradition, was a very little man. And so they looked at these guys and they said, well, this guy, Barnabas must be Zeus and Paul must be Hermes because he's doing all the talking. And so, you know, they were thinking, these people were thinking, the gods are back. And so that's kind of the context here of what was going on. And so they come out and the priest of Zeus comes to sacrifice to them. And of course they tear their clothes and they're trying to convince these people that they are just human beings. So, and it's kind of an interesting situation because on one moment they're looking at them as gods and at the same time the Jews from all the way from Antioch, which is 100 miles away, and... And remember, you know, that's over a week's travel. And from Iconium had come because they're following these guys. And they knew these guys were serious threats. And so they were following them all the way to Lystra, and they're stirring up the people, and they stirred them up to the point where they actually took them out. And one moment we're going to sacrifice them as gods, and the next moment we're, we're stoning them. Now they took after Paul. We don't know exactly why they left Barnabas. Maybe they thought he potentially was still Zeus or maybe the Jews just felt like Paul was the really serious threat. But we see here that this, this stoning takes place. And I mean, I don't know if you can imagine what it would be like to be stoned. I mean, if I came up to you and... You know, the, the rocks were kind of like, from what I've read, there were lots of rocks around. They were kind of like in the alleys and streets, and, and there were rocks like bricks. I mean, just imagine if I came to you and hit you with a brick or pelted you with a rock. I mean, that rocks do a lot of, of damage to your body. Wherever they hit, they bruise. So imagine the crowd. Imagine being stoned. Imagine these rocks hitting you in the head and being at a point where it's so bad that people assume you're dead. And then they grab you by your heels and drag you out of town. You can just picture this going on. And they assume that you're dead. And so the disciples come out and they gather around and we don't know what happened. We don't know if, if, if Saul actually died and God just raised him up, but it says, it's, it's a very simple statement. It just says, they gathered around and he got up and the next day, headed out 60 miles to Derby. So how'd you like to get up after being nearly stoned to death and head out on a 60-mile trip on foot? It was an amazing story. They made it then to Derby. And again in Derby, we see that large numbers of people were saved. And then what did they do? They retraced their steps through all the cities where they nearly lost their lives to encourage those that had come to faith. We see in, in verse 27 of the book of Acts chapter 14, it says this, And on arriving there, now they have sailed back, got on the ship, sailed back to Antioch. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. What a fun, what a fun day that must have been. Just to hear of what God had done.
Well, it's an interesting story, and what we're, what we're doing as we walk through the book of Acts is we're trying to get a picture here of how the, you know, how the early church was formed, and we're also asking the question, what do we learn about, what do we learn about mission from these stories? And so, I've picked one thing this morning to share. Now, certainly, we could, certainly we are impressed by the boldness and courage of these men. I mean, I think we have to mention that in passing. Uh, we're also very impressed by how God protected them and preserved them. So there's, there's many lessons here and, and areas that we could focus on. This morning, I, I want us to look at something that we see here in, in verses 15 through 18 of chapter 14. I think there's something very important for us to consider in the call that we have to share the new, good news with people. And here's what it is. I think that what we see here is the importance of connecting the gospel with the culture. Connecting the gospel with our culture. And I'd like to talk about what I mean by that this morning. Listen to these verses in chapter 14, beginning with verse 15. Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, He let all nations go their own way, yet He has now left him, has not left Himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Fills your hearts with joy. Now, if we were to look back last week to chapter 13, Paul is sharing the gospel. He's sharing a message in another context with a group of people. And as he's sharing the good news, you know, maybe we're taking notes to see, well, how, how do we share the good news with people? So what, what Paul does in, in chapter 13, he talks about, he starts with Israel. He says the people of Israel, they lived in Egypt, and then God delivered them from Egypt, and then they went out into the wilderness, and there, you know, Paul, Paul goes through the whole story of Israel. And he talks about Samuel, and he talks about Saul, and he talks about David, and he talks about the prophets. He goes into a very long spiel about all of the history of Israel, and then he shares the gospel in the context. But we look here in the very next chapter, and verses 15 through 18, and we hear nothing. We don't hear of Abraham. We don't hear of David. We don't hear of Saul. We don't hear of Israel. Nothing about the wilderness, the promised land, nothing. Not one reference to Israel. Why? Because Paul is speaking to a different culture. Speaking to a different culture. Now, <clears throat> there are four major ways and there's probably more than this, but I'm just going to mention four. Four major ways that God is seeking to reveal himself to people. And one of the points that all of us need to decide, and 
one of the critical issues is, you know, most people believe that there is a God. The question is, is this a God who is seeking to reveal himself? Is this a communicating God? Or is this just a God who, you know, is a long way away and, you know, just clicks on Yahoo every night to see what's happening in the world? And so, the scriptures teach us that God is a revealing God. That God is a very communicative God, that God wants to reveal himself. And I'm just going to put up kind of an overview, and then we'll come back and we'll look at what Paul is doing here in chapter 14. So, two main areas. There's general revelation and there's specific revelation. General revelation is revelation that God gives to everyone. Any human being on the face of the earth gets general revelation from God. There's no human being that does not get revelation. They may not own a Bible. They may never have heard of Jesus. They may know nothing about that, but God is still revealing himself to them. That's general revelation. Specific revelation is more specific. Not everyone has received specific revelation. And so, those are the two main categories. Under general revelation, we have what we call external revelation. This is what everybody gets. And Romans 1, 18 and 19, I mean, that's the passage. I'll start with verse 19. It says, it says, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. What that's saying is God has revealed to everyone through His creation. I mean, you may not know a lot about God, but you do know He's powerful. You do know He must be great. I mean, you can't look at creation and not make that connection. The Bible says if you don't, you're suppressing, you're suppressing the truth. And so we have this external evidence, and then we have internal evidence. I'll talk a little bit more about that, but the internal evidence, as you look inside, there are things there that have to cause you to, to wonder, where did that come from? You know, where, did, where did this sense that some things are right and some things are wrong come from? And we'll look at that a little bit more in a minute. So that's general revelation. There's external and internal. Every human being has that. Secondly, there's specific revelation. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. There is specific revelation through people. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Specific revelation from God. The prophets, the Old Testament, the New Testament, by Jesus Christ himself, and of course now the apostles as, as well. Specific revelation. The other way that God has spoken to us is through his word. 2 Timothy 3.16 all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So, specifically, God has spoken through people and He's spoken to us through His Word. Okay, so when Paul is talking to Jews, 
who have and who understand and who have a knowledge of the specific revelation of the Word and of the prophets. What does he do? He connects the Gospel with that specific revelation. So he goes back and he talks about you know Egypt and the deliverance and Abraham and all the Old Testament stuff. He connects the Gospel in that context with the Jews. He starts there because he understood. But in Lystra... In this town, these weren't Jewish people. They didn't know who Abraham was. They didn't understand that context. And so Paul completely avoids the specific revelation because they didn't have it. And and as I'm talking about this, and I want you to be, because we're going to get to this in the end, but I want you to be thinking about people in your culture that you're trying to connect the Gospel with. Because you need to understand what revelation they are aware of. And so, here we see in Lystra that Paul's going to move up out of specific revelation, because these people don't have specific revelation at this point, and he's going to move into general revelation. General revelation. So, you know, if you look at his, what he says there, look at verse 15. He says, We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven." and the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. He's pointing them to this general revelation. He's saying, we have good news, and it's connected with this God who, look around you, has made everything. You know that God? This is the living God. And so they're speaking in a way that they can, they can understand. You know, it doesn't make sense to talk to people about Jesus who don't even believe in the concept of a God. Who don't even believe in the concept of a God. You know, perhaps, I think, often when we share the Gospel, sometimes we just kind of blurt it out. And we don't, we don't take the time to connect with where people are, with what their understanding is, and to connect the Gospel with where they are. An example of, let me give you an example of, of connecting people to, to a truth. I, uh, you know, one of the things that I used to do when we would go on canoe trips, I've mentioned this before, but we would we'd take kids from the juvenile center, and these kids had had a rough life. Many of them had concluded a long time ago that God didn't even exist. And so, in order to connect with those kids, you know, I, I do the old, I do some, I take the watch, you know, the watch thing, take the watch off my hand and say, wow, you know, I was out in the woods and I, I just found this watch. And they look at me like, you know, you're kind of crazy. I say, yeah, you know, it just, I don't know where it came from, it just, it just appeared. And, you know, I'm going, what's wrong? And they're going, you know, we know that watch didn't just appear. I said, where did it come from? They said, somebody made it. Why do you know somebody made it? Well, look at it. I mean, it, it, it's not just going to come together. So we're sitting down on the shoreline, up in the boundary waters, and, and I just say, guys, take a look. I mean, just look around you. Look at this stuff. I mean, you can tell me this just happened? And it's interesting that, you know, unless they're really suppressing the truth, 
in that context, they go, yeah, well, I guess there must be some God out there who made this. But, but that's where you have to start. You can't just start talking about Jesus. You have to talk about, do you even believe as a God? You know? And if there's a God who made that tree, I mean, isn't it amazing that these trees out here can survive? It, you know, it's 20, almost 20 below last week, and just the way those things are designed? What about us? I mean, what about our bodies? I mean, isn't this amazing how God designed us? And if God designed us, you know, what about maybe He made us for a purpose? Have you ever thought about the fact that if God designed everything and He made us, that maybe there's some kind of purpose? Maybe there's some kind of connection? And so, moving into then the word that God sent His Son that we might be in relationship with Him. That doesn't make sense if we don't connect with people where they are. And so we see here that Paul is you know, seeking to connect. And then in verse 17, he says, you know, he says, He's shown you kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in the seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Where does that come from? He's kind of asking them to kind of look, to kind of look inside, you know, as to what God has done. And and we just see here, you know, as you look inside, you see, you know, where did these inner morals come from? I mean, why is there any sense of right and wrong? You know, if a lion is out in the jungle and another lion comes by and that lion gets in a fight and the one kills that lion, is that morally wrong? I say no, that's just how it is out in the jungle. But if someone comes across your property and you shoot them, is that wrong? I mean, what's the difference? Why do we as human beings have this innate sense of morality and right and wrong? Well, that's an internal revelation. There's something there. You know, the, the, our desire for freedom, our desire for significance, our desire for relationship. Where do these things come from? And so Paul here is saying, look around you, you know, the things that God has done to you, the inner joy that you experience in your life from that, where does that come from? He's saying it, it comes from a God. And so the principle, the principle is we need to discern how the gospel connects to our culture. And we need to depend on the Holy Spirit to do that because talking, you can't use the same method with every person. Where one person's at is, is not where another person's at. And words are very important. In chapter 14, he says, it says that the, the apostles spoke so effectively. It says they spoke so effectively that many people were saved. We need to speak effectively with people. Sometimes I think we're talking with people and we're not giving them enough context to understand the gospel. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the Pictionary game? You know, that where you, you get a word and then you have to draw it on the board. And, you know, it's kind of like, so you get the name George Bush. Okay, so you know, it's like you go up on the board and you, you know, you're up on the board there and you write the, you write the, you draw a picture of a bush. People go, Bush! You go, yeah, yeah! You go, Bush! And then, you know, you go, because they're so close, right? They're so close. You point to the bush and they're going, uh, tree! No, 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 no. No, uh, you know, and you're, you're getting more animated. Uh, green. No, no. Uh, uh, 
photosynthesis. No, and you know, and you go on, you never give them another clue. And finally the timer goes off, and by this time you're ticked off because they should know what it was. But you didn't give them enough clues. And what if you had drawn a little plane and wrote Air Force One? Or a picture of the Capitol or something. But they didn't have enough clues. They couldn't understand what you were saying. I think sometimes, you know, we do that. We say, you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. They're going, why do I need to do that? Why, why is that important? What? And so, we, we, we see this example here. Paul says, I become all things to all men that by all means I might reach some. And so Paul's approach would change. Just like Jesus' approach. You try and, you know, Jesus says one thing to one person, another to another person. It's very different depending upon that person. So how do you know? How do you speak to people in a way that you can connect with them in the culture? Well, Jesus modeled it for us. And what Jesus did was, he left his culture of holiness and perfection, and he came and dwelt among us. He, he entered the culture so that, I mean, obviously he's God, but Jesus as a man entered the culture and because he was in the culture, because he was out there meeting with sinners and tax collectors, he understood the culture that he was seeking to reach. That's our model. The incarnation is the model of connecting the gospel with the culture. We can't connect with the culture from a distance. We have to be in the culture. You know, I wonder, as I draw this to a conclusion here, I, you know, I wonder what that looks like for the church. I think that's one of the questions that God is putting before us. You know, we're talking about being relevant to our community. We're talking about reaching our community. And, and I, you know, I'm wondering, what does that look like for the church? What does that look like for me? We're, we're looking at, uh, there's a small group of churches looking at 1 John on Sunday nights, and last week we read this verse. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. We're going, what, what is Jesus saying there? The Bible says God so loved the world that he entered it. He gave his only son for the world. So how can we not love the world and Jesus loved the world? I mean, and so we, we discovered that there are four meanings of the, word, of the word world. World means age, you know, of this world, the time. The world is geographic, the world that God has created. The world is people. Talking about, when you talk about God so loved the world, he's talking about people in the world. And then lastly, the, what First John is talking about is the ways of the world. The ways of the world. You know, which is pride in things we have, things we own, things we do, self-centeredness, those kinds of ways. And I think probably, this is just my opinion, but I think we've probably, probably become too good of friends with the ways of the world and not nearly 
good enough friends with the people of the world. And we see here, and, and I believe that if we're going to reach our community, that we're going to have to really care about the people in this community. And we're going to need to not be encumbered by the ways of the world if we're going to truly go out and minister the gospel. And if we're truly going to go out, you know, Paul was willing to risk his life here to do this. And uh, we need to study our culture. We need to learn about the culture. We need to learn about how the gospel connects with our culture. We need to learn how our culture can understand. Because if we don't, then we become like Jonah, whining under his broom tree, while God is seeking, seeking for him and, and for us to reach a very, very lost world. And so that's, that's really a challenge. And I think it's a challenge here in a, from Acts chapter 15. And I would just challenge you to be praying about it. Father, I thank you this morning for uh, <coughs> the privilege we have to walk through these stories of the early church. Father, thank you for this example of Paul really changing his, his presentation of the gospel because of the people he was talking to and sharing on a level they could understand and they could relate to, not snowing them over with terms they couldn't understand. And so, Father, I, I pray that, that you would enable us as the church to connect the gospel with our culture, to preserve the essence of the gospel, to, to never change the gospel. But, Father, to be willing to change every approach that we might use so that people might be able to hear what the gospel truly is saying. Father, we are here today because someone shared the gospel with us in a way that we could understand. And, uh, Father, I pray for anyone here today who has not understood that Christ came and died for them and that, that through him they can have life. Father, as we conclude our service uh, with this time of worship, Father, we, we do so just out of praise and thanksgiving to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.